and welcome back to the Scaling Therapy Practice. This is James Marland, your host. This is the show where we help therapists take intentional steps towards sustainable growth. This week, I am joined by a regular guest host, Steve Bissell, and Ira Hayes as our uh, special guest that's going to talk about niching and niches with us. Welcome. Thanks. Good to be back. And uh, this week, we're going to start off running with our tool tip or tech of the week. And while we're talking about marketing for therapists and niching down, one of the best resources I found was this book by Mike McCallowitz called The Pumpkin Plan. The Pumpkin Plan by Mike McCallowitz, in essence, is a book where he takes the illustration of growing a pumpkin and growing the biggest pumpkin and how they are de- there are people dedicated to growing the biggest pumpkin and the things they do to, to make sure they have the best possible pumpkin out there. And then he relates that to your business. There are things you, you can do and should do to niche down and grow the best business or pumpkin that you can. So it's really entertaining and enlightening. Um, one of the tips that he gives from that book is weed out the losers. And I, I find that tip great, but also difficult to do. Because when you, when you put your energy into things, you care about things, it's really difficult to quote unquote, weed out the losers. What do you guys think about that tip? My experience is that it's once you're invested in it, it's one of those things like I'll invest till I'm broke, so to speak. So it is hard and I get where you're coming from, but I've also kind of like learned to cut my losses with time. And I think that comes with experience. I think it's not something that I would have done in my first few years in practice, but nowadays, if it doesn't work out in the first few weeks or months, like cut your losses, move on to something new. Yeah, I think spending time on what feels good, right? And I think you're mm. right. When you're uh, early on, I'm not sure I would have given myself the same advice that I have now, but a year or two in, once people are fully licensed and they're, they find what they're good at and then they find what they're not good at, um, that's probably equally as important, I think. Yeah. Another tip in the book is nurture the winners. You know, if you're going to grow the biggest seed, you cut out some of the vines that aren't growing and then you feed the ones that are. And just what you said, you, you, you kind of find what you're good at and find what is producing the most and then you, you hit it. So we're going to talk more about that. The, the topic this week is, of course, marketing, which is season two. We're talking all about marketing your therapy practice and the the topic of this week this session is niching or niching down and we brought we have Ira on uh, he has an interesting therapy practice therapy niche uh, why don't you tell can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about that Ira yeah so yep yeah so my name is Ira Hayes I'm a licensed clinical social worker in New Jersey I'm currently the director of Center for Wellness which is a PHP IOP program and then I also own my own practice um, where uh, that's where I niche down a little bit more, although the practice that I work at also kind of helps focus on that niche. And I think, you know, my specialty now has actually changed over the years. About 10 years ago, I was working with mostly oppositional defiant youth, um, a lot of ODD diagnosed kids in residential programming. Um, and now I work mostly um, with school phobia and OCD. So I learned finding good what I was good at. Um, I was kind of good when I was younger, like meshing well with the younger guys and kind of working with them and helping them develop skills. And then as I learned exposure response prevention and exposure treatment, I kind of shifted my direction to school phobia. I was school-based at the time. I was presented with a problem. We have a bunch of kids not coming to school. It was at a therapy school and they were like, let's figure this out. So I spent 
about four or five years figuring it out where I think a lot of, a lot of people weren't doing the same thing as me. So that was, that became my niche. How do I get these kids to school that are phobic? Cool. That's very interesting. It's probably going to relate to our last question of the day. Do you find your niche or does your niche find you? So we'll, <laughs> we'll get into that. So our yeah. topic yeah, our topic of the day is uh, niching and uh, finding the audience for your practice. I do talk to uh, one of the big topics is should I niche or there's a big fear, I guess, over narrowing yourself and telling telling people what you stand for and what you don't. So the first question for the panel here is why are therapists afraid to niche down? Well, I think it's because you're going through a business and I can tell you from experience for myself, as well as a lot of people, you start a business, you're a mental health counselor, you're a social worker, you're, you're like, oh my God, I need to attract the most clients possible. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I'm going to take the two-year-old and I'm going to take the 92-year-old and no matter what they present with, I'm just going to do it because I got to do it, right? I got to fill in those seats, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what happens in a naive way for many Actually, I would say that I've done this training for starting your own private practice for six years now. And I would say that 90% of them, when I talk about niching, they're like, and you can hear the air getting sucked out of the room. And then two, three years down the road, oh, I'm specialized in OCD with left-handed Jewish people. And you're like, (laughs) wow, that's pretty niched. And of course, I want to make everyone laugh. But the point is, is I think that we all end up niching. So the first message Mm. of niching is always like, and then after two years, like, yeah, I didn't want to work with that two-year-old with OCD. So it changes in time. I keep on bringing back time. And I think when I think about niche, it's really about time. And I think that'll be my, one of my go-to points for a whole lot of people is that it takes time. Mm. Yeah, I I would agree with everything you said. And I think people who are afraid of niching, I think either haven't found it yet or haven't accepted it yet. So maybe they're really good at something or they really enjoy something, but they haven't accepted yet that that's what they're good at. So maybe they got into therapy thinking they're going to work with teenagers and find out that they're really good at, you know, relationship counseling um, or vice versa. So I think sometimes, you know, people are nervous that maybe they're not good enough in that niche to kind of take a, a presence in the niche and that they have to, like you said, fill the seat, supplement as a business, like all those other spots. Uh, generally speaking, I don't think that's su- as successful, but you know. Well, you, you brought up something really interesting is the comparison, right? Like I'm not good enough or I'm not like this person who, you know, could, can I even put Institute in my name, you know, the Institute or whatever, because I, I, I don't see people see or have an impression of themselves and they're like, oh, I'm just not like this other person. Isn't comparison a big deterrent? for niching or niching down? Well, I do believe so. I think that the comparison is a thief of joy, as I've said many times to my clients. Mm. And, you know, like Ira has his specialty, James has his specialty, everyone has their specialty. I would even joke around that for me, I'm a child and family specialist. I went to get my master's in child and family specialist. How many kids and how many families do I see right now? Yes, the total is zero. I do not see anyone like that <laughs> because I was thrown in jail, not because I was an inmate, nothing wrong with that, but I wasn't the inmate. I was a mental health um, person. 
And I really developed like a like liking of working in the criminal justice system at that point in the community justice system because it just was my people. I swear a lot. I'm kind of down to earth. I don't really do good with big words because this is my second language. And it turned mm-hmm. out to be the perfect match for me, so to speak. And then um, it grew to parole, it grew to probation, it grew to jail diversion in the community. And nowadays, I while I still work with some of those individuals, I work with the other side and what I consider my niche, which is like evolve, as you can hear it right now, to first responders themselves and medical staff who are on the other side of who I started with, but nonetheless, a specialty that I've developed because of this niche. So I think that once the comparison that I love right now is that I can turn around and say, there's not a whole lot to compare with. And that makes it a lot easier. But when I was younger, I was always, well, that guy does better, or he's much calmer, or he's more agitated. He's going to get more out of him. I think that comparison is some, one of those things where we feel like, and if you have an answer to both of this, and I, I mean this in the most uh, respectful way, if you can help my imposter syndrome and cure it, I'm very interested. But I think when you talk about comparison, it's the imposter syndrome that kicks in for a whole lot of us when we're starting to niche ourselves. But that would be my two cents on that. Cool. Yeah, no, I think I think comparison is it's it's tough. It's tough if if you don't have that confidence in your like in your niche yet, or you're still building confidence as a new clinician. I think that's why it's hard. Even when I think about myself as a new clinician early on. I'm not sure I had that confidence to compare myself to other people. It wasn't until I found that spot where I stood out where I could say, like you said, like, I'm not sure, you know, like, all right, there's some other people doing something similar to me, but I have this unique perspective or I have this unique skill that I could bring to the table that puts me, if not in the same caliber in the same room, you know, like I'm in part of that conversation. Um, And then as you develop, I feel like you develop, you know, insurmountable confidence in that area that, you know, the more you help 10 kids, you help 20 kids, you help a hundred kids. Then by three, five, 600 kids, then you're like, okay, now I really have something that, you know, I can niche myself because I've been able to help all these kids. Yeah. You're, you're describing like, uh, you got to have courage to start and confidence comes after you you don't start with confidence. Like that's just a, that's just part of starting something new. Um, Yeah. But you you develop it, as you said, as you have success over time. And I think you got to put the reps in, you know, not to do, go too sports related, but I feel like early on and even now, you know, if I want to keep getting better, I got to keep reading books. I got to keep looking at new theories. I got to, you know, stay up to date with everything that's going on. That's why I love, you know, teaching. I teach at uh, Monmouth University as well. I adjunct there sometimes and I'll take interns whenever I can because it keeps my growth process. Like they bring new stuff to me and then I'm like, oh, wow, if I want to keep up with them now, I got to read this. I got to read that. So I think just having the confidence comes from continually working harder, you know. So that's that's some of the reasons why therapists don't niche. What what would you get? What would you say to people or why should therapists niche down as as much as they can? As uh, why should why should we consider even why shouldn't? Why shouldn't we just be serving everybody? Why should we find a niche? Because I think that what happens is that when you have someone who's niche, you could actually have, it's almost like increased confidence. One of the things that occurs with my first responder individuals, they're usually referred by either other first responders or people who work with first responders. And it brings almost, and I wouldn't say automatic because I think that's a bad word, but almost 
automatic, like, oh, credibility. Okay, Johnny told me he would go see him. Sharon told me he was pretty good. And then by doing so, okay, he knows our language. He knows how we talk. He understands dark humor. He understands how we survive this stuff. And so from my perspective, I think that that's why, you know, we get to a point where we, the niche becomes our friend. But I think until you see it as a friend and you see it as you, you, you will always see it as an enemy and it's really changing that thought process. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think with niching, when, when I'm thinking about niching, I'm always, as a therapist, I'm trying to always balance two things, whether I'm running a program or it's my own business, it's always making money and then helping the most people, having the most impact as I can, right? So I'm trying to obviously earn revenue and I do well for myself, but I'm also trying to help as many people as I can. By saying help as many people as I can, you would think, oh, think general, but that's not the case. There's probably a dozen people that can help all those general conditions that I can but there's only a certain amount of people that can niche down and help the kids that are like school phobic or help with OCD. Um, there's a significantly less people. So by kind of niching down, I'm actually expanding and being able to help a further reach. Like I, my reach is much further rather than just a couple people. I might have somebody that travels an hour to come see me because I'm able to help them at something that the generalist isn't probably able to help with. Yeah, that's great. That's a great illustration and example. One of the ways it was described to me is you are taking people on a destination. Like you're trying to find the right people who want to get on your bus to go to the destination that only you can take them. Uh, for example, if you're if you're living in like I used I used to live in New York and you want to go to a trip to Florida and you want to find people to get on this bus who want to go to Florida. If they're going to Ohio or I don't know Utah or something and then Florida, that's not the trip you want to take with them. You want to get you want to get the right people on the bus who are going with you. And then to niche even down further, you say, well, we're going to Universal or we're going to SeaWorld or we're going to get a ticket to Disneyland. You're going to take those people to the exact destination that you can. And that helps them. You know, that is helping them get to where they want to go. And because you're the expert in that area, you can take people over and over and over again down this trip, down down your niche quicker, faster, better, and probably even cheaper than the other person who doesn't exactly know where they're going. I think we're going to Florida. We might show up, you know, at SeaWorld, but maybe we're going to do Universal. No, you're going to go down to the, the destination and the exact people are going to get on and you take you take them there. And I just love the journey story of like talking about your dream client or your preferred client or the person you can help the most by thinking about, I'm going somewhere, they want to go there, and this is how I take them over and over and over again. And you become that guy, you know, you become that person to do that. Um, have you ever heard about the the niching down as a journey before? Can't say I have. Not like that. Yeah. yeah. It, it's a, it's, it helps me understand that there are people that I can help quicker and better. And there are people that they're, we're just not going on the same trip. And that helps me understand that I need to spend time figuring out who those people are and how to help them. And then all the things that you guys were talking about, like the referrals, the confidence, the credibility, the distinction, 
and then and helping more people that comes when you get known for that the type of I'm putting this in quotes trip that you're taking that they they know to go to you and not to somebody else right yeah i think that's probably the most one of the one of the most important things you know and and on the business end of it when you niche down you do become more notice for a particular skill so people know when to find you and for what and then you can also market that easier too right if i just mm -hmm. go in somewhere and say call me for anything it's kind of forgettable but if yeah. i say if i'm at a school and i say hey if you have these school phobic kids that's what i specialize in i can help you know then you start getting calls for trainings and all kinds and you know it helps me do business to business marketing way better too so i'm able to kind of go to other businesses and say this is what i'm good at you know, I don't do this. Like I, I'm not good. You know, when we talked about not knowing what we're not good at, I'm not good at, like you said, 12 and under is not my, my skill set in terms of my individual practice. And I would say that I don't work a lot with eating disorders. So I build relationships with people that are great at that so that we have this reciprocal relationship and referral service, you know, where we know what each other are good at. That's a great little marketing tip uh, right there. That's what I, I'm even writing it down myself. Yeah. <laughs> now i mean like you... in terms of in terms of marketing for something like knowing your sales funnel is so important right and if i know i'm niche down to a certain spot it helps me narrow who i go to and who i market to so i know right i'm not just marketing to everyone i'm maybe marketing to you know schools and iop programs and maybe potentially parents um but i i'm not directly marketing to my consumer necessarily I'm marketing to these other companies and other school districts and stuff that need that service. So well, they me, have a problem. Yeah, they have a problem I, they need to solve. So are they going to call generalist person to solve that problem with the anxious right. kid who won't come to school? Or are they going to they're going to call Ira who specializes in it and he's gotten results for his other people? It makes you you've just hit on a really great point uh, that when you niche down, it can make your marketing so much easier so much easier because now i know hey all i have to do is post like hey guys i'm doing a free school phobia training for anyone in new jersey call me if you're ready and i do that all the time i offer it for free all the time and i get school districts this is my busy season right now you know they're having trouble getting kids yeah. back and they have me come in and it's great because you know i get to help them maybe help eight or ten kids and if they have a couple kids that they can't help then they know who to call and if I help them help all of them, that's great. It was an hour well spent. We helped a lot of people. But it definitely helps me to know exactly who to market to based on my niche. It doesn't require me to just send out email flyers and, you know, just like blast everyone because that's not my 80%, you know, the 80-20 rule. It's, mm -hmm. That's not mm -hmm. where I'm getting 80% of my work. 80% of my work is coming from very specific uh, sources. So it definitely helps with marketing 100%. Wow. Yeah, the the mass market. If you're if you're marketing to the masses, you're you're pretty much just competing on like the lowest common price, which is uh, difficult to run a business when you're just trying to get a, a small fraction of the large market. It's much easier to develop the to own, you know, your portion of the market uh, and and market to those people like a lot less energy that way it's not free it's not free money people but it is less work <laughs> it's, it's it still takes work everything marketing i feel takes some thought and work but 
I think that work becomes more rewarding in itself because as I'm marketing for my niche and I'm passionate about my niche, then I'm connecting with more people that may need those services that I never mm. would have met if I was doing general marketing, right? Like I wouldn't meet with some of these schools that are two hours away, but I'm able to help some of those kids, even if it's not directly, but I'm able to help the staff that are helping those kids. So I think it, it expands my reach. And I'm not always worried. You know, a lot of those trainings I'm not worried about. And am I going to make money on that hour? That's not really the case. The case is, am I going to be able to help kids? And then if I do, are people going to know me more for that and refer to me if I'm helpful, you know? Awesome. Right. So our, our, one of the last questions here is, do you, do you find your niche or does your niche find you? Like, how do you, how do you develop this? We've talked a little bit about it. What, what has been, maybe this is a story time. Like what's your experience here? Um, we've, we've hit on it, both Steve and Ira have hit on their, their experience, but how did you actually come up with your, your, your target market? I fell in it backwards. Let's explain that. So story time again, child and <laughs> child and family specialists, but I worked on a crisis team when I had my bachelor's triaging phone calls, taking up like that stuff. So police knew me a little bit. When the when I went to my company at the time, I'm like, hey, can I do outpatient? Can I do crisis work? We got nothing. The only thing we have full time is working at a jail, being the mental health clinician. All right. Well, you know, I want a job. I want to work like that's I guess I'll go do that. I don't know how my child and family specialty is going to really help out in a male a jail. But hey, what the hell? Let's try it. So I go there, actually do okay overall. But at one point, I'm, I'm going to save the details, but essentially something happened at the jail. They blamed me for it. It had nothing to do with me. I had to do everything with my boss. My boss throws me under the bus, but luckily I signed my paperwork properly. But I go to my boss. I'm like, no way in hell I'm staying here. So I leave. And he's like, what do you have? I'll work, I'll, I'll work fee-for-service outpatient. I'll work fee-for-service for the crisis it's not like they don't, they don't need it on a uh, social service agency. One day, one of my bosses says, hey, we just got a contract with Mass State Parole. I'm like, that's great. Good for you guys. Bravo. I keep on going. No, no, no. We're talking to you. I'm like, no, you're not talking to me. Bye-bye. See you later because I don't want to work with community mental health ever again at that point. They bribe me with extra money, which when you're a young 25-year-old, or how old was I, 25, 26? I can't remember. And needed the money. Okay, what the hell? I'll try it. And now I fall in love with working in the that world because it it was crisis clinician. Some when this happened was in two thousand six, two thousand seven, when uh, you know reentry wasn't cool. But I was, you know, we were at the starting point of reentry for people coming out of jail and saying, hey, maybe they need resources to succeed and not have a sixty six percent recidivism rate. And so I start working on that. I get reinforced by parole. Probation listens to me. I get involved with the police. And the rest is history. Because even when I decided to leave the community justice social service field, people recognize me like, hey, you're the guy who works with cops. I'm like, I am? I mean, I am. And so that's how, again, the police fire. I've worked with many other agencies that are in law enforcement started contacting me. I wasn't looking for them. And because of my experience in jail, I got a lot of Department of Correction people too. So so story time is I was a child and family specialist, fell ass backwards into the community criminal justice system. And here we are today. So 
that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> it's a good one. Good one. I, I think for me, geez, I mean, I've worked throughout the continuum of care before I kind of found, I had several niches, like I said before, it's kind of developed over time as to what I was interested in, what I was good at. But I worked with the SPMI population on a PAC team. I worked for a community mental health center. I worked inpatient. I went to a school because I let out at three and I had weekends off and summers off. And I was like, that sounds really great. And it was a, it was a therapeutic school. So I thought I had the ability to kind of help more as a clinician at a therapeutic school than I would at a public school. It turned out it opened a lot of doors for me. I was able to consult with different school districts in this, you know, in district schools. And it opened many, many doors to me, but they basically came to me with a problem saying, Hey, we have these kids that we can't get in. And I was able to kind of help them solve that problem, learn how to solve the problem, solve the problem over and over again, and then started trying to solve it for other school districts. So to the question, you know, does your niche find you or do you find your niche? I think in most circumstances, my niche has found me, even when I worked with, you know, kids with ODD, it was, I was working in a residential program. I got trained in CAS and parent management training. I kind of stumbled into that that kind of niche for a few, you know, probably five, six, seven years um, before switching the school base. So I was lucky enough to kind of, my niche found me always. And then I just had the, I guess, the instinct to follow it, which I think is important for people that if they're doing something that they enjoy, they should follow it as much as possible. And I think that you make a great point there when you think about enjoying it. I think that when we talk about niche, what one of the things that I kind of remind people is that you need to like it. And one of the reasons why, and I'm going to share this and maybe I'll turn it to you uh, guys, but for me, when I worked with children and family, I loved working with the kids. I love working with the teenagers. I did not like to work with the parents. I'm trying to keep it as kid friendly as I can here. But my turnoff with that was with, oh, that's why the kids screwed up. And I could never get over that because I wanted to deal with, like talk to the parents, fix them and do that. And obviously you can't always do that in, in like with the parents. So my niche felt that it was too overwhelming for me while you're working with them. So I changed because of that. So sometimes it's also about passion. I still have passion working with kids. I just can't do it on a professional level. So I coach soccer now to kind of like co overcompensate my stuff. But I don't know about you, Ira, if this has happened to you or not. I think... It, it's happened to me in a different way when I was working with more oppositional, you know, I was ended up finding myself in places that were more, you know, there was therapeutic holds and stuff involved. And I, I eventually I, I didn't really enjoy that kind of that kind of setting as much. I then started working with some other stuff in my private practice that worked out well. Um, but I would say the journey was pretty natural for me. Like I, I, I just kind of followed the path, the path kind of like not to sound too cliche or anything, but the path kind of laid itself out. I, I got this job at a school, then they came and said, how do you solve this problem? The, the problems I was solving, you know, I, I started a part, like essentially a, a closed group on at the school and then started working with the school filled with kids. And I, we were able to just help a lot of kids. So I fell right into it. I got lucky. And I think that that's a little bit of the messages that we need to kind of like pass on for the, for everyone that we work with. If we fall back on something that we don't, we don't know. And then we fall on it and we love it. I think it's sometimes it's a discovery. Um, and I think that if you work in social services for a while, what I've always recommended to find your niche, work on a crisis team, work in outpatient, work in a large population where you're going to see the two to 92. And I realized that working with young kids wasn't my thing because I just couldn't do it. 
And then the 92 year olds, anyone over 65, I don't know why my therapist might need to work on that. Uh, but I, they, they're all my grandparents and I want to take them home. And when you want to take them home, mm -hmm. I mean, that's not a healthy thing. So I'm like, oh, well, no, I can't work with seniors. So one of the other thing about niching, I say work with a general larger population, whether it's the crisis team, whether it's outpatient in a community service, uh, community uh, programs. Uh, and I don't know if you have any advice as to how to find our niche, because we felt, I told you, I felt ass backwards on it. You kind of discovered it as you went along, but I don't know if you have any other advice in regards to that. Yeah, the advice I usually give like my staff and my interns and stuff is just keep developing. Don't, and, and early on in career, don't look for, I would say the first couple of years, especially if you're, you know, in each state, I know it's a little bit different, but you, if you have your regular license and you don't have your clinical license yet and you don't have the autonomy to go on your own, work inpatient, work in a partial, work with different, you know, larger agencies where you can find mentors that you can follow because that mentorship, I think, is so important to developing. And it should be, the first couple of years should be about what do I want to develop? Um, not necessarily how much money can I make? It's like develop a baseline skill set, five or six different theories that you're great at, and then the niche will come, I think, very easily after that. I, I think what we're talking, you know, James, I, I think that what I, I feel is so important that Ira mentioned is that when you're trying to find your niche, like I didn't even think about inpatient, but that's another great place to learn what you don't like and what you do like. But I don't know, James, if you have any advice as to how to discover your niche. Well, just some of the stuff that you've uh, been talking about is it's okay to dabble, you know, it, it's okay to, to, to spread your wings a little bit and figure out, I'm going to try this. You know, you mentioned inpatient, you mentioned IOP and day hospital, you mentioned different types of treatment. It's okay to say, I'm going to try this for a period of time. And also know you might not do it for the rest of your life. I, I think I, part of my mindset, I don't know if it's my gener my my generation or my thought, like, don't waste anything. You know, if you're going to do it, do it. Finish your plate, you know, that type of stuff. And I don't know if that serves you very well when you're trying to discover your niche is just doing one thing and sticking with it forever, even if you enjoy something else more or it's not fulfilling. Another another tip, I guess, though, on the other side of that is once you've found your niche, like keep the main thing, the main thing. There's so many opportunities mm. out there. You know, you go into the school and you probably could help, you know, many of those students, but that would detract you from the thing that as you were talking about how how fulfilling it is, you know, like, oh, I get I get to help these kids and I can do a good job. And it's so fulfilling to me and it helps their life. Like if you get distracted by, by different things, um, that could prevent you from keeping your main thing, the main thing. So when you're early, you, you mentioned all this stuff about time, like you fell into it or it took five years to develop this niche. I think we got to be patient with ourselves and get our, give ourselves time to develop into the niche and develop into what, what, who our dream client is and their dream destination that we can take them. And then, and then once that's been established, then it's time to move into now I am the Institute of OCD school children or some, something like that. So yeah, that, that's my advice right now is the, the pressure, some of that pressure to, 
to choose right away as soon as you get out of school is probably self, you know, a little bit of your own self and also other people like expectations. So that's some of my advice. Be patient with yourself. But once you find it, you know, embrace it. I really like that. I was just going to say, I think in terms of the niche, one of the things like if you like it, keep going at it. And I also think for me, too, it's been really important. You know, there's so much stuff on social media and therapist groups and stuff about burnout. And I've always found that when I think, you know, to me, finding a new problem to solve has always prevented that for me. And oftentimes that new problem goes to a new niche. Right. So when I was working with oppositional youth, you know, I started to get a little bit burnt out. So I found a new problem to solve. And I think that also as a therapist, we have so many opportunities that like we can niche down and then we can, you know, somebody who's new and they're not sure if they do it for five years and they're like, you know what, I want to change. There's nothing wrong with that either. You know, you, I'm in my forties now, Mm -hmm. by the time I'm in my sixties, I might have something completely different that I'm, you never know, Um, but I'll just follow that road. But I think it is important that like, it's okay to like change and it's okay to keep that niche for as long as that niche feels like the most important thing to you. As soon as it doesn't, it's probably okay to find a new problem to solve. And I just want to mention one thing, James, because I want to observe that the first thing I observed when we were first all all three of us, uh, we all have some sort of goatee or beard and we all have glasses, <laughs> but none of us, none of us specialize in males with glasses and a beard. And yet at the same time, we have three unique perspectives from three different unique people who came from three unique backgrounds and everything else. So I think that what I would also mention before we go on is respect where you came from. And I think that that's the important part too. Uh, You know, like for me, I'm an underdog. I'm a big fan of the underdog. Maybe it's my immigration from Montreal to here that probably got me to be an underdog mentality. And I never forget about that because a police officer who goes and reach out for mental health right now is a minority underdog. And we need to treasure that. Same thing for my fire guys, same thing for my correctional staff, my paramedics, my sheriffs, and so on and so forth. And I think that one of the things that if you're going to niche, you talk about how to avoid burnout, remember what your initial passion was. And for me, like that's something that I always keep in mind. Yeah, you you talked about something that I think is really important is knowing who your tribe is, knowing who are the people that energize you, because the people you're going back to the story thing, you're spending a bunch of time with these people and you're only going to allow it, it depends on you. It depends on you, the the bus driver, the per, the destination generator, like you're going to take people on this journey that you want to spend time with that you identify with, that they get you, that you could have dinner with and not be like, oh man, I just wish they would leave me alone. You know, I can't wait for, oh, I got a phone call. I got to go. Those aren't the type of people that will fulfill you the most. And you talked about burnout. If you're serving those type of people who take and they're not, you know, even though you're, you're cert, you have a service and you're, you're doing, you know, you're charging money, but the 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 people that they can't pay you enough to to have another session those are the people you don't want to be your ideal client you know they somebody else will they'll fit with somebody else so that's also another important reason for niching down is realize 
it's not just about, you know, who's going to buy my product. It's who can I help? Like, who do I want to help? Who do I want to serve that won't burn me down, burn me out to the ground? I agree. All right. So let's let's move into our takeaway. We'll start with Ira, then go to Steve and I'll wrap up. What's one takeaway you want the audience to know from this episode? One thing, if they could only remember one thing, what's a takeaway for you? I mean, it sounds like we all are in the same I, mindset of like, don't be afraid to niche down. Find what you're, you want to niche down with and don't be afraid to follow that passion. It'll probably take you pretty far. That's the, the main thing that I'm taking away. I'm glad I did it. Sounds like other people are glad they did it. <laughs> How about you, Steve? I think there's so many takeaways. I have a full page actually here. I really like this conversation, but I guess the, the, the most important one is when Ira, you mentioned about being, you know, remembered due to your specialty. And I think that that's something to keep in mind when you think about niching. People are like, oh, well, that's going to be too specific. Well, no, that's the advantage. You know, like it's in, in my area that I work in, on Metro West Boston, you know, I'm one of the first names that come up no matter what about, oh, look, this, he works with first responders. He works with medical staff. He send it to like I. It, I'm not saying I'm unique in that way, but there's not many people like that. So therefore, I get a lot of phone calls from that. So your niche is actually what mm. will make you most memorable. So that's what I get from this podcast. Awesome, and I kind of like that. You know, both of you took time and to discover your niche, or maybe it discovered you. Like you, you said yes to an opportunity. Or you saw a need and you fill you you filled it, and then it turned into something you know, like and enjoy. And people, you're helping a lot of people. So I I guess my my takeaway is let it develop. It's going to take some time, and you're probably going to discover it more than just say this is what I'm going to do forever for the rest of my life. Does that sound good? Yeah. Very All much. right. Well, before, oh, before we wrap up, Ira, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. Where can people find you. you? Where can people find you? And you offer any services to help others? Yes. So yes. they can find me at centerforwellnessnj.com for the partial care and IOP program. And she's health and wellness. That's H A Y S, Hayes Health and Wellness.com for any of the stuff that I do in my private practice in terms of training, marketing. Whatever they need, I can be helpful, hopefully. What was that last one again? I'll put it in the show notes, but it's a Hayes, H A Y S, Health uh-huh. and Wellness. Hayes Not Health done. and Wellness. Okay. Yeah. And you do trainings, marketing, and some other things for therapists. Yeah. Clinical consulting for school districts, just about everything. So mm. you can check it out. And certainly, if anyone, I know we were talking before the show with Steve, but like they could find me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn and, and love connecting with people too. Another great tip there, LinkedIn, find find lots of great people. All right. Well, this is the Scaling Therapy Practice, encouraging you to take intentional steps towards sustainable growth. Thanks to Steve and Ira. We will see you guys next time. Psych Maven is proud to support the Scaling Therapy Practice podcast. If you go to stp.psychmaven.com, You can take our free personal inventory and find out what your builder type is as a helping professional. 
This assessment is quick and fun, and it comes with tons of customized resources with your results, so you can discover the best ways to scale that match your own personality. Find the assessment at stp.psychmaven.com. Thank you for listening to the show. Please subscribe to our newsletter. In the newsletter, you will get a free download for a marketing tool. Season two is all about marketing. And so I'm providing a tool for people who subscribe to the newsletter. If you haven't subscribed to the newsletter, just go to coursecreationstudio.com and look for subscribe now. Uh, if you are not subscribed to our newsletter, you can find the tool in our blog for the episode. So just go to the podcast and open up the blog and the tool will be there. This week, the tool is going to be on the steps of the pumpkin plan. Just a, an outline of some of the steps Mike McCallowitz from his book, The Pumpkin Plan, gives to new business owners. I would recommend buying the book. It's probably 10, 15 bucks. Uh, if you listen to it on Audible, he reads it to you and you can just see his personality shine through. Um, it's a good listen, so I definitely do that. If you happen to have a free moment, please uh, go to iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts and rate and review the show. I really love reading the reviews and the feedback from there. If you have questions on marketing, we have about five episodes left to record, and we'd love to get some feedback from the audience. You can send those questions to james at coursecreationstudio.com. And I will definitely bring that to the panel. And we hope to get some follow-up questions from some of the episodes that we have already recorded. Hey, uh, I could not do this alone. I really appreciate the support of the SciCraft Network. Check them out at SciCraftNetwork.com. And finally, the Scaling Therapy Practice is for educational and entertainment purposes only. While I do interview professionals uh, like mental health professionals and accountants, they are not your therapist, your accountant, or your lawyer. So if you happen to need professional services, please seek out professionals in those areas and get their advice for your unique situation. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.